0: Amen. Well, let's look at Psalms, Psalm 87 this week. If you're newer visiting, we're going through the book of Psalms, which are songs, verse by verse, and so we find ourselves over halfway through the Psalms. And so we're in Psalm 87. Father, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for that great testimony, Lord, of your word and your faithfulness in our lives and and how you will use us. Whether we're ready or not, but it goes, comes across way better when we're ready. So prepare our hearts. Even this morning, Lord, we just don't need another Bible study. We need your Holy Spirit to transform our lives. We see the world in chaos. We see even in our own country, people attacking other people over, over views. Lord, it's just bizarre. The love of many is growing cold. And even Jesus asked that question that when he would return, would he find love, agape love on this earth? And only Christians can have agape love. So, Father, guard our hearts, that our hearts don't become cold and callous Towards our coworkers or neighbors or family members, but we would love them with agape love and we'd have the faith to proclaim the gospel. Bless this time this morning and Father, I pray for the gift of teaching in Jesus name. Amen. Psalm 87, a Psalm of the sons of Korah, a song. His foundation Is in the holy mountains. The Lord loves the gates of Zion. Now you're not going to see the word Jerusalem here, but Zion is, is, is saying Jerusalem. Zion is a location. It's a mountainside. But obviously when you see the gates of Zion, it's speaking the gates of Jerusalem. More than all the dwellings of Jacob. Gracious things are spoken of you, O city, notice again, O city of God. You see, Jerusalem has been chosen by God to proclaim his glorious truths. And he could have chosen another city, but Jerusalem is located upon a mountain where God directed Abraham to take his son Isaac to sacrifice him, Mount Moriah. Now we know that God does not endorse human sacrifice, but it was a test placed upon Abraham. And Abraham trusted God so much that he believed that God could raise Isaac from the dead if that was his will. It was 900 years later that David conquered the city of Jabus, where the Jebusites dwelt and it became known as Jerusalem, the city of the great king. One thousand years, one thousand, one thousand hundred, hello, one thousand years later, slow down, it was the city where Jesus came to finish His earthly ministry. And now over two thousand years later, it is today the main focus of the world. Why? Because our spiritual enemy knows that God loves Jerusalem and that the glorious truth of the gospel was proclaimed from Jerusalem. The spiritual enemy hates everything that represents God. And Jerusalem represents God's faithfulness to his word. God will prevail against the nations, and Jerusalem will be at least one city that will remain standing at the end of the great tribulation. Verses 4 through 6. I will make mention of Rahab and Babylon to those who know me. Behold, Ophilista and Tyre with Ethiopia. This one... Was born there. So being in reference to being born in Jerusalem. And of Zion it will be said, this one and that one were born in her. And the Most High Himself shall establish her. The Lord will record when He registers the peoples, this one was born there. It seems, it appears here that the Lord is taking a royal census. And, and these nations are listed as Gentile, they are Gentile nations, and they're enemies of Israel. Yet in the future, I believe during the millennial reign of Christ, some of their children will be born in Jerusalem. And from the psalmist perspective, this is something that is going to take place again in the future. There's going to come a time when all the nations, again, during that millennial reign of Christ, We'll share in the beauty of Jerusalem by becoming fellow citizens. But in thinking about this as Christians, we already know that this has taken place. For Philippians 3.20 says this, For our citizenship is in heaven. Guys, don't get caught up in what's taking place in politics. We're to abide by the laws of the land. We're to love all people. But ultimately, our citizenship is in heaven from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, it doesn't matter what nation you were born into. Christians have only one homeland, and that is the New Jerusalem where God is currently dwelling. And it's called heaven, heaven. Verse 7, both the singers and the players on instruments say, All my springs... Are in you. Now, this could be speaking of physical springs, or it could be making reference to the spiritual springs of life. If you'd like to look at John chapter 7, John chapter 7, 37 through 39, to those spiritual springs of life of which Jesus spoke of in the gospel of John. There was a the feast taking place, and in John 7, 37, we read this. On the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out saying, If anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And then commentary goes on to tell us specifically, But this he spoke concerning the Spirit. Notice capital S, so that would be the Holy Spirit. Whom those believing in him would receive. Now if you're here this morning and you don't have Jesus as your Savior, when you would, if you would receive Jesus as your Savior, the Holy Spirit who is God actually comes up and takes physical residence within us. Now, that doesn't make us a God. We will never be gods. But it does tell us, according to the word of God, that the Holy Spirit, God, now dwells within us. He is our comforter. He is our guide. He will lead us into all truth. He convicts us of sin. He grants us repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. You see, it was in Jerusalem... That the Holy Spirit first came into, on the night of Jesus' resurrection, Jesus breathed on the disciples, and the Holy Spirit came into them. And then on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came upon them and filled them with power. You see, the springs of life have come from Jerusalem. So when somebody asks you, why would we support Israel? Or why do we love the Jewish people? There's many, many reasons. Why would you support them having the capital of Jerusalem? Because that's God's choice. God chose Jerusalem. God loves Jerusalem, as he loves all of mankind. But that's God's chosen place. So we support God. That's why we here support Israel and support the Jews. Let's look back at Psalm 88. Psalm 88, a song, a psalm of the sons of Korah to the chief musician set to Mahalath, Anath, a contemplation of Heman the Ezraite. Uh, this is most likely the son of jo- Joel. Heman was a temple musician during the reign of King David. It is a psalm of sorrow, and the last psalm reference to the sons of Korah. The psalm carries with the idea of bleakness, darkness, loneliness. And as we read over this psalm we get this picture of a man who has endured tremendous hardship. He was under the impression that death was near and he felt all alone. He is pleading with God that God would hear from heaven and answer. Psalm 88. O God, O Lord, God of my salvation. I have cried out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you, incline your ear to my cry, for my soul is full of troubles and my life draws near to the grave. Again, we see a man who has already trusted God as his Savior And even in the midst of this trial that he is going through, he is going to continually pray to his God. And this is a great example for you and me because we all go through trials. And we know that God hears our prayers. But some people will allow trials to actually push them away from God. Where Heman allowed the trouble, and this should be for you and I as well, to draw him closer to God. Because God is always there no matter how we feel, no matter what the circumstances look like. He is there to listen and will respond according to his will, which is always good. His will is always good. 4 through 7, Heman here expresses himself like a man who is drowning. I am counted with those who go down to the pit. I am like a man who has no strength, adrift among the dead. Like the slain who lie in the grave, whom you remember no more, and who are cut off from your hand. You have laid me in the lowest pit, in darkness, in the depths. Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you have afflicted me with all your waves. I mean, there's no hope. The grave is eminent. He felt like he was without God and much like Job, he desired to know why all of these bad things were falling upon him. Verses 8 through 12, You have put away my acquaintances far from me. You have made me an abomination to them. Sounds a lot like Job. I am shut up. I cannot get out. My eye wastes away because of affliction. Lord, I have called daily upon you. I have stretched out my hands to you. Notice the action there. This man is seeking after God with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength. Will you work wonders for the dead? Shall the dead arise and praise you? Shall your loving kindness be declared in the grave? Or your faithfulness in the place of destruction? Shall your wonders be known in the dark and your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? Again, he felt all alone. And he expresses himself as far as the afterlife goes. Now, they didn't have the whole counsel of God yet. So they didn't understand the grave. Matter of fact, when this man died, he went to Abraham's bosom. Jesus shares that with us in the Gospels. Well, he didn't know that. Can a person praise God after death? Thank God for the rest of the scriptures. Because it shows us that when we get to heaven, we're going to have perfect voices. And that we're going to be singing praises forevermore in perfect harmonies. Yes, we will praise God for all of eternity. Verse 13. But to you I have cried out, O Lord, and in, my mor- in the morning my prayer comes before you. Again, even though he's in all of this distress, and I really want to encourage this to all of us, because all of us can have distressful times. And your distress might be different than the next person. They might not feel the same distress as you are. So you can't necessarily look and compare. You have to go to God and say, God, I am in total distress, and continue to pray because God understands, even though you don't. We have to allow God to remain on the throne of our hearts. It's a hard concept to grasp. And sometimes we're never going to understand why God does the things he does. Not on the side of heaven. No one ultimately does. But in the morning, Lord, notice what he says. In the morning, my prayer comes before you. That's what we have to learn and apply to our lives. That even in distressful times, and this psalm does not end on a high note. It's the only psalm that I know of that doesn't end on some type of, well, yeah, but God's still on the throne. Nosedive. The plane is going into the dirt. There's no pulling out of it. Lord, why do you cast off my soul? Why do you hide your face from me? I have been afflicted and ready to die from my youth. I suffer your terrors. I am distraught. Your fierce wrath has gone over me your terrors have cut me off they came around me all day long like water they engulfed me all together loved one and friend you have put far from me and my acquaintances into darkness again human here expresses himself very very graphically and when we meet him in heaven this is the, the facts there'll be no more pain no more suffering and there will also be no more confusion about the things of this life and we need to praise God for that Psalm 89 a contemplation of Ethan the Ezraite. Uh, this appears to have been written after Judah had been carried away captive to Babylon verses 1 through 37 speak heavily of God's faithfulness Then the next 14 verses speak of the punishment received by Judah. Again, where are you, God? And we've seen similar psalms. When the majestic reign was over, that was the common question upon the minds of the people. Has God forsaken his promise to David? And we are able to look back through the word to find the obvious answer. But those who are living at that time, the answer is not so obvious. And again, to you today... The answer might not be so obvious, but what we can learn by looking back is God is faithful. God is faithful. Psalm 89 verse 1, I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. We've seen that many times in the Psalms. Repetition is vital for us. Notice what it says, I will Sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. With my mouth will I make known your faithfulness to all generations. You know, as I mentioned a few minutes ago, the psalmist is probably in Babylon at this point. He has experienced what most of us will never experience. The total loss of culture, of his worship, of freedom. So since we know that the state of the individual, it's wonderful to see his commitment to God, even in the midst of his hardship. And when we do focus on God's faithfulness, we will see more of God's mercy. Not that God's mercy hasn't always been there. And this is where we get confused. Well, I haven't been praying enough. I haven't been reading my Bible enough. I haven't been at church enough. Well, all those things may be true, but God's mercy is always there. We just start to see it more because we are focusing on God's faithfulness when we are in the Word, when we are spending time in prayer, when we do come out to more than just a Sunday night, a men's Bible study, coming out to a women's Bible study. We tend to see more because other people are around us to encourage us and strengthen us. You see, if we don't focus on God's faithfulness, we will most likely end up complaining and murmuring about God and why doesn't He show mercy towards me, towards us. No. Because of God's faithfulness, the psalmist says, I will proclaim to those around me that God is merciful and that his faithfulness is passed on from generation to generation. Guys, that's you and me today. That's you and me today, as we do in the Sunday school, as we do on Wednesday nights, as you do in your families, whether you're single or married, whether you have children or don't have children, that's irrelevant. You have an opportunity to pass on God's faithfulness to the next generation. You see, God's faithfulness is not dependent upon my faithfulness to him, but rather is just a fact that God is faithful. Verse 2 Timothy 2.13. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. Religion will teach you otherwise. That's why we need to read from Genesis to Revelation. So that we don't become religious and base our relationship with God on feelings, on emotions, on do's and don'ts, but on the facts of his word. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. Verses 2 through 4. For I have said, mercy shall be built up forever. Your faithfulness shall be established in the very heavens. I have made a covenant with my chosen. I have sworn to my servant David, God speaking here. Your seed I will establish forever and build up your throne to all generations. You see, God made a promise to David, the second king of Israel, and God will remain faithful to that promise, even though... There were various kings after him that didn't follow David's example of humility, brokenness, and seeking after God alone. God would keep his promise to David. And we know that God did keep his promise through Jesus of Nazareth, his one and only son who came through the line of David. Ethan didn't have that privilege of future events, but he hung on to the promise And guys, for you and me today, we have promises, certain promises that we need to hang on to of future events. We don't know what the future holds, but we do know who holds the future. And we do know specifically that Jesus said right before his return, it is going to be. He didn't say it might be. I'm not sure about this. I'll get back with you. He said it is going to be as it was in the days of Lot, Sodom and Gomorrah. As it was in the days of Noah. Violence upon the face of the whole earth. That's a guaranteed promise. So we shouldn't be surprised when we see and hear of the things that we're seeing and hearing of. But rather use it as an opportunity in your workplace or your neighborhood. Or with your family members to say, hey, God said this was going to happen. That doesn't make God bad. That just tells us he knows what he's talking about. And that we should be preparing our hearts. For his son soon return. Use it as an opportunity for witnessing and not necessarily as an opportunity to feed into it. Verses 5 to 6. And the heavens will praise your wonders, O Lord, your faithfulness, also in the assembly of the saints. For who in the heavens can be compared to the Lord? Who among the sons of the mighty can be likened to the Lord? God is greatly to be feared or reverenced in the assembly of the saints. You see, God created something out of nothing, and there's no one on earth that can do that. We always, we always have to use pre-existing materials to create, where God spoke the universe into being. And the heavens declared God's handiwork. So who can compare? Who on this earth? No one can compare. O Lord God of hosts, who is mighty like you, O Lord? You rule the raging of the sea. When its waves rise, you still them. Who is the psalmist speaking of? Who has control of this? God and God alone. Well, let's look at Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8. And the psalmist here is most likely speaking of the Mediterranean Sea or the Sea of Galilee. But the Gospels give us a wonderful account of when Jesus was on the Sea of Galilee with his disciples. And some of these disciples were seasoned fishermen. They had been in storms. They knew what the Sea of Galilee could hold. Luke eight twenty four says, And they came to him and awoke him. Jesus was asleep during the storm. And maybe you're in a storm and you feel like Jesus is not even in the boat. You don't know where he is. He's with you. Saying, Master, Master. Notice what these seasoned fishermen say. We are perishing. We are going to die. This is not just a little storm. This is a huge storm. Then Jesus arose And rebuked the wind and the raging of the water. And they ceased and there was a calm. Stay there. Verse 9 of Psalm 89. You rule the raging of the sea. When its waves rise, you still them. Who does this? God. Who did it on the Sea of Galilee? Jesus who is God. It's just another confirmation that he is God. And he said to the disciples, where is your faith? And they were afraid and marveled, saying to one another, who can this be? Who's in the ship with us? For he commands even the winds and the water and they obey him. Interesting question. Who is this guy? They didn't understand yet who Jesus was. Back in the Psalms, Psalm 89, verse 10, You have broken Rahab in pieces as one who is slain. You have scattered your enemies with your mighty arm. Uh, Rahab is embellic of, uh, of name for Egypt. And Egypt, with all of its mighty splendor, was totally destroyed by God. You see, the Israelites took note of the miracles that took place, especially in the Red Sea, swallowing up the army of the Egyptians as the late last great miracle of deliverance. The heavens are yours, in verse 11. The earth also is yours. The world in all its fullness, you have founded them. I actually have that highlighted in my Bible. Creation, once again. Not evolution, Creation. God has done the work. The north and the south, you have created them. Tabor and Hermon, rejoice in your name. Two notable mountains are referenced here, Mount Tabor and Mount Hermon. You have a mighty arm, strong is your hand, and high is your right hand. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Notice that, righteousness and justice. Mercy and truth go before your face. Blessed are the people who know the joyful sound. They walk, O Lord, in the light of your countenance. Ethan goes from the physical attributes to the spiritual attributes of God righteousness, justice, mercy, truth. And again, no one is full of all of these attributes except God alone. And when the nation was called to worship, it was the sound of the trumpet that gathered them to the temple for praise. And what a sound that must have been. To gather, to gather the people who have traveled miles and were now home in Jerusalem to worship the Lord. Verses 16 through 18. In your name they rejoice all day long. And in your righteousness they are exalted. For you are the glory of their strength, and in your favor, our horn, or our strength, is exalted. For our shield belongs to the Lord, and our King is the Holy One of Israel. Now this is very interesting, if indeed he is writing this from the perspective of being in Babylon, being taken out of Israel. He is still proclaiming the truth, which we have not seen in some of the other Psalms, where the psalmist gets sidetracked and forgets who God is and what God has already said through the prophets. This gentleman is not forgetting what God said through the prophets. He's proclaiming the truth, the truth, the truth. Then you spoke in a vision to your holy one and said, I have given help to one who is mighty. I have exalted one chosen from my people. I have found my servant David with my holy oil. I have anointed him with whom my hand shall be established. Also, my arm shall strengthen him. The enemy shall not outwit him nor the son of wickedness afflict him. I will beat down his foes before his face and plague those who hate him. But my faithfulness and my mercy shall be with him. And in my name, his horn, his strength shall be exalted. Also, I will set his hand over the sea and his right hand over the rivers. He shall cry to me, you are my father, my God, and the rock of my salvation. Also, I will make him my firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. My mercy I will keep for him forever and my covenant shall stand firm with him. His seed also I will make to endure forever and his throne as the days of heaven. If his son forsakes my law and do, if his sons forsake my law and do not walk in my judgments, if they break my statutes and do not keep my commandments, then I will punish their transgression with the rod and their iniquity with stripes. Nevertheless, My loving kindness I will not utterly take from him, nor allow my faithfulness to fail. My covenant I will not break, nor alter the word that has gone out of my lips. Once I have sworn by my holiness, I will not lie to David. His seed shall endure forever, and his throne as the sun before me. It shall be established forever like the moon, even like the faithful witness in the sky. Here we see that David was taken from among the people, a young man who did not stand out in a crowd until the Spirit of the Lord empowered him. Then the nation took notice and King Saul brought him to the palace. You see, God had made a promise to David. And as I mentioned earlier, God fulfilled that promise through Jesus. The throne is established forever and until the Lord comes back, To make Jerusalem the ultimate city of peace. The enemies of God will continue to fight against Jerusalem and Israel. Now in verses 38 through 51, Ethan pours out his heart to God. Even though he has just rehearsed all of God's power and might concerning the nation of Israel, he has doubts as to where God is now for the nation. Again, because we're able to look back. We know what God was doing to the nation. He was chastening them. But to Ethan at that time, God had abandoned them. When he was done sharing the disappointments that were plaguing his heart, he made the ultimate acknowledgement. The ultimate acknowledgement. But you have cast off and abhorred. You have been furious with your anointed. You have renounced the covenant of your servant. You have profaned his crown by casting it to the ground. You have broken down all his hedges. You have brought his strongholds to ruin. All who pass by the way plunder him. He is a reproach to his neighbors. You have exalted the right hand of his adversaries. You have made all his enemies rejoice. You have also turned back the edge of his sword and have not sustained him in the battle. You have made his glory cease and have cast his throne down to the ground. The days of his youth you have shortened. You have covered him with shame. Now we know the throne of David was in Jerusalem. So this is definitely speaking of Jerusalem and Israel. How long, Lord, will you hide yourself forever? Will your wrath burn like fire? Remember how short my time is. For what futility have you created all the children of men? What man can live and not see death? Can he deliver his life from the power of the grave? Lord, where are your former loving kindnesses, which you swore to David in your truth? Remember, Lord, the reproach of your servants, how I bear in my bosom the reproach of all the many peoples with which your enemies have reproached, O Lord, with which they have reproached the footsteps of your anointed. The proclamation. This last verse was most likely, probably not in the original psalm, but was added later as this concludes book three of the psalms. With Psalm 90, we move into book number four, book four and five were probably collected and arranged during the time of Ezra, who was a scholar and a priest who lived around 450 B.C. Blessed be the Lord forevermore. Amen and amen. You see, whether we, what can we glean out of all this? Whether we understand what God is doing or not, we are called to worship Him and know that He is working all things together for the good. The word blessed here, it means to kneel, to bless, to praise. And that is hard to do at times. Yet when we look back and see God's faithfulness throughout the history of Israel, throughout the history of the church, and throughout our very own lives, we can rest assured That he will always be there for us. So blessed be the Lord forevermore. Amen and amen. Father, we thank you and praise you. And Lord, this is our, our ultimate command. When we don't feel like you're near, when we don't feel like you're making the right decisions for us or that you're treating us the way we think we should be treated. Father, we are called to kneel. We are called to praise. We are called to bless your holy name because you are God and you have a plan even in the midst of our trials. Lord, I am sure that there are people in this room this morning that are going through trials. And these psalms may have spoken directly to them. These songs, they've been singing this in their own heart. Lord, I I pray. I pray that, that you would comfort them and strengthen them. Fill them with your Holy Spirit even right now. That they would have that ability to, to look up and to remember your faithfulness and to acknowledge that you have a plan even in the midst of their trial, even in the midst of the tribulation. Father, we thank you for that. And Lord, if there's anyone in our midst this morning as the saints are praying, if you're here this morning and you do not have Jesus as your Savior, He, God loves you. And God has sent His Son to die for you. And you can receive the free gift of salvation if you would choose to do so. And so I'm going to pray a simple prayer. And if you would like to receive Jesus as your Savior, please Repeat this prayer. Just repeat after me, God. I need a Savior. I can't do this. I admit, I acknowledge, I don't have the answers. And so, God, I surrender because you love me and you sent your son to die for me. I surrender. I need a savior. I acknowledge I'm a sinner and I need to repent. And so I repent right now. I turn to you and I ask, I ask you, God, to receive me. I ask Jesus to be my Savior. I ask your Holy Spirit to come into my life. have to admit I I don't know what this all means but because you are faithful because you are true you are righteous that you will show me as I read your word you will reveal to me What I have just prayed. That I might know for certain. I am now your son. I am now your daughter. Thank you God. That I can now call you father. In Jesus name. Amen. Father we thank you and praise you. and. We do lift up any soul that just prayed that prayer, Father. We intercede on their behalf. They do not understand the spiritual battle that is going to take place. So we stand in that gap as brothers and sisters in Christ. And we pray, Father, that they would get plugged into a good, solid, Bible-believing church. That they would read your word every day. That they might grow in the grace and in the knowledge of your one and only son, Jesus the Christ. Fathers, we go out into our mission field this week. Use us. Help us to water. Help us to plant. Help us to be ready to share with anyone who might ask us the blessed hope that we have. Help us, Father. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. will not we all stand, guys? God bless you. Have a great week. If you receive Jesus as your Savior, please come up. We'd love to meet you. If you need prayer for anything, please come up. We would love to pray for you. God bless you guys. Have a great week.